Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Sugar, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's the end of November. I swear, we started Original versus Remake at the start of this year in January with Nightmare on Elm Street, and this has gone so fast. Really? Yeah. This is the same, we're in the same year where we did our first Original versus Remake. That's oh, crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. How many have we done? We've done quite a few. Well, we'll be, this will be our 11th, will 11th, yeah, 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 I suppose so, yeah, of course. Come on, maths. Uh, well, I mean, we've still got plenty of, there's so many remakes out there. Oh, yeah, we'll so never many run shit out. ones as well, <laughs> so plenty of uh, films to cover. But we're future. saving the shit ones for next month, because this month we are talking about two good films again. Don't get bored of us. <laughs> we've got two good films again. <laughs> We're talking about one good well, on. one alright film. What was last month's? Oh, I don't know. Shit, I should know this. Oh, look, Shop of Horrors, yeah, okay. And then where they were. The House of Wax before that, that, they were all good. Cat People before that, they were both good. Yeah. Masferatu, Fright Night. Okay, we're changing it up next month, I promise. This month we're talking about Sorority Row. Or the house on Sorority Row. Yes. So, let's kick it off with the people. The people of Instagram. This is the closest it's been so far. We had 40% for the remake and knocking it out of the park by 20%. With 60%, we have the original. Nice. And I, I agree. I agree. I agree. The original and is I agree better. with those percentages as well, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very accurate. Thanks, Instagram. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we've had some. Uh, we, we have had some interactions that I've been really unprofessional and not noted down. Um, but I would just like to thank the people of Twitter for reacting so kindly to our Anderson Falls episode. Yeah, that would can yeah. Considering it's, I didn't think it was a well-known film. Yeah, it's it's not, it's literally it's new out this year. Uh, nobody knows what it is, but the people who watched it at Fright Fest and hated it with us all retweeted it and said really nice words about it. So, uh, I think it was David S. Smith off the top of my head who said, uh, f- uh, funny guys talking about a funny film, which is like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to us. Aww, thank you. Thank but you. other than Maz, of course. <laughs> yeah. Maz tells us she loves us on a weekly basis. Yeah. Maz is also disgusted by the snot coming from Sean Ash. <laughs> 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 you should have seen it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been really great uh, on social media this week. So keep it up, and I promise I will note down names and such for Tuesday's episode. Uh, so we're Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horacle Trash on Twitter. But getting into this episode, let's start off with some uh, trivia. We've got House on Sorority Row released in nineteen eighty two, directed by Mark Rosman. Um, who is a Disney director? He directed episodes of Even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire. He, he did uh, a Cinderella story, uh, The Perfect Man, A Wish Come True. So Disney and those sort of Disney-esque teen drama, teen comedy films. Well, that's purely Hilary Duff. It, well, yeah, he, he's Lizzie all over. Lizzie McGuire, Cinderella yeah. story and Perfect Man. That, that's Hilary Duff there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, why didn't he direct... Um, Haunting Sharon Tate. Oh my god, Haunting Sharon Tate. We did a whole episode on it and forgot the name. <laughs> Trying to uh, release that from my unconscious. Uh, hopefully, we get a House and Sorority Row sequel with uh, Hilary Duff. Well, yeah, she can do with the money now, can she? Could. She after Sharon Tate bombed on all yeah. counts. 
So this was uh, made on a budget of $425,000 and made just under $11 million, which early slasher days, that's quite good. About early 80s slasher days, that's quite good. Yeah, I mean, that's fair 82, fairly late in the whole slash. Would you say so? Slashes. In 80s, 80, I mean... 1980 was the pinnacle, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I suppose. You had hundreds of the fuckers. Um, so, 82, you kind of getting into the pre-Nightmare on Elm Street territory. Yeah. You're getting into your, your, your sequel after sequel yeah. territory there. And what I like is that every now and then you discover a gem like this. You discover a gem like Christmas Evil, which you watched last night, that don't necessarily do it the same way a lot of others do it. Like this takes its time, and it works for it. Yeah, and it, it, it does it a little different. It's... Um, very female orientated. Yeah. yeah. Very. Men are very much in the background yeah. in this film. And that's for both, really. In in both. I mean, it, it does turn out in the original, well, in both, that men are the killers in yeah. the end. I would have liked to have seen a female killer. But even, yeah, but even then, the male killers are still really minor characters that absolutely. we don't know a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely in the first one yeah. I mean that's the twist sorry we're going to spoil it anyway so I might as well do it from the offset um, that's the kind of twist it's this random bloke yeah it was so it was literally it's revealed in such a throwaway line to the point I thought it wasn't even revealed because yeah. I missed it <laughs> yeah so the gory payoffs to the murder scenes were added after the shoot and filmed in the backyard of the director's parents house <laughs> uh, Lois that is a low budget <laughs> This is something that's very jarring. Lois Kelso Hunt's performance is entirely dubbed. I know that might shock you. Her voice was deemed not scary enough for the role. In a special edition DVD from uh, Liberation... Liberation? Liberation? What the fuck? Liberation. Liberation Entertainment. The film's director comments that he believed that she had the right look for the part, but ideally he would have preferred a huskier voice. Uh, Lois's voice being more high-pitched than he would have liked. It's... You know straight away. It's very clear that she's been dubbed. <laughs> Absolutely. The film was inspired by the Italian horror films of Mario Bava and Diabolique. Yeah, and it shows. Yeah. You know, we've said it plenty of times. Oh, this film's been influenced... On the podcast, we've said it plenty of times. Oh, the director was influenced by mm. this, that and the other. And we've sat here and been like, how? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't show in the film. It really does show in this film. Yeah. And by all accounts, this is very influential. I mean... I know what you did last summer is pretty much the same premise. Yeah, very similar. I mean, this premise is essentially diabolique. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. So I think one goes in hand with the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we get films like I Know What You Did Last Summer. So in an interview with Terror Trap, Mark Rosman stated that he dislikes the US poster art for this film. His idea for the film's poster was a deliverance style image of a hand rising out of a swimming pool. However, as we all know, the poster for the US release shows an image of a scantily clad young woman. And it, it doesn't make any sense, because this isn't a film that sexualises It's like the argument we've had about Jennifer's body. It's not a film that sexualizes women. No. Why is there a sexualized woman on the front? Yeah. Because it was the eighties, and everyone going to watch a slasher film, a lot of times that's what they wanted. Yeah, but the poster makes it look like a peeping tom film. Yeah. Um, when really it's not anything like that. The women are sort of the catalyst for the the murders. If if not the murderers, mm -hmm. they're the catalyst for it. 
So the deliverance style poster would have worked yeah. a thousand times better. I mean, it's not a bad poster, mm. but it would be more suited to another kind of slasher yeah. film, you know, Slumber Party Massacre mm. or, or something like that. Um, it's not suited to this film and it, it doesn't work. And you kind of, you look at the poster and you would watch it if you didn't know what it was about, watch the film and be like, I got fuck all to do with the poster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few minor edits had to be made to some of the more violent moments to get it an R rating and not an NC-17. It's a, it's quite a bloody film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah some really good deaths in this one. Uh, it was selected by Quentin Tarantino for the first Quentin Tarantino Film Festival. Nice. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> the name of uh, the rock band that performed at the party, best stars in the film, uh, was never revealed... But the group portraying them was known as Four Out of Five Doctors, a locally popular but short-lived power pop band from Washington, D.C. They need a resurgence. They've got some bangers. They've got some bangers. <laughs> and their album, if, if anyone wants to listen to their albums on Spotify, the albums, they've got a few. Have they really? Yeah, yeah. It's on Spotify. Yeah, including the songs from this film. Um, the set was visited by filmmaking legend John Waters because it's filmed in Baltimore. Nice. Uh, the film is similar to 1930s Myrna Loy classic, 13 Women. Now, this is interesting, because often on this podcast, we've said so many times, this is the first slasher film, this is the first slasher film. Well, by all accounts, we've always been wrong, because apparently, this was the first slasher film. And it's about a woman who is rejected from a sorority, and then gets revenge by causing the murders of all of its members. I have heard of it, actually. I have. I have, yeah. Um, desperate to see it. Mm. By all accounts, it's pretty much lost. Um, I, I think I think it's on some random, you know, get these ten films. Yeah. Sort of thing. I don't know if it's uh, what's that phrase I always forget. Public domain or public not. domain. But yeah, really desperate to see it because mm. apparently that was the first slasher. Not necessarily as we see slasher films yeah. now. You know, of course, it's not going to have people's heads locked off and blood and guts mm. and everything. It was, what, 1932? I don't know. Is that before the Hays Coast? Hays Coast? Hays Code. Uh, potentially, yeah. Yeah, maybe. So maybe it is quite violent. Um, but yeah, desperate to see that. Prior to the film, this is interesting. Prior to the film, Mark Rosman had worked as a voluntary first assistant, uh, assistant director and protégé to Brian De Palma on 1980s home movies. Oh... Yeah, which was, I mean, the film's shit, but... That's a shame. But the the fact that he was an assistant to Brian De Palma, that's quite impressive. It, it is impressive. If it wasn't home movies, <laughs> I'd be sat here impressed. Um, but I don't see what he would have learned from home movies <laughs> would have affected. Well, it was through working with Brian De Palma that made him want to become a filmmaker, and the fastest way to do that was to make a film himself, and that ended up being this film. So home movies did something, right? <laughs> yeah, <did>. unintentionally. <laughs> Just so you know, we're huge Brian De Palma fans, uh, me and Gary, but we fucking hated home movies, which yeah. is him doing comedy, and he cannot do comedy. It works in High Mum. That was good. Yes, High Mum was um, good. That's it. Yeah, it didn't work in home movies, but also oh, the wedding, the the wedding gift. party, wedding party, wedding wedding party. party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking hated it. And that other one he did. 
the predecessor to Hi Mum. Greetings. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't like greetings, though. Uh, back to House of Sorority Road. It was <laughs> yeah. retitled House of Evil for its British release in the UK. That's a shit title. It is. There is an alternative ending shot for the film. It would have followed right where the film currently ends, cutting to the police taking the dead bodies out of the swimming pool. The upside-down body of a person in the clown costume would be floating in the pool. And when turned over, it revealed Katie in the suit. The ending was rejected as being too downbeat, and the distributors also insisted more gore added to the film. Which is kind of <laughs> contradictory, really, because they wanted more gore added to it, and then he got told off for adding more gore. Because <laughs> he'd get an NC-17. Yeah. I think, potentially, what I'm get- gathering from that is that the f- the, the the director wanted a diabi- diabolic-style thriller yeah. rather than a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, obviously, slasher film sold in, yeah. in 1982. So um, they would have asked for bloodier kills. I mean... As far as the ending goes, I love the way this film ends because you could literally, if if anyone ever fancied doing a direct sequel, I mean, strange things have happened. If if anyone ever fancied doing a direct sequel, it'd be so easy to do it. With yeah, because it ends so abruptly. Yeah, and it leaves it open, so it's very much like Black Christmas. It, it, well, it, how open yeah. it leaves it. So the idea of the ending reminds me of Black Christmas, but the way it's executed reminds me of. Um, the hatchet films, how they just suddenly end when you, when you're not expecting them to oh, really yeah. abruptly end. Yeah. Um. So I think Adam Green's probably took a fair bit from that, but it, I, I like that sort of ending where you, you it just leaves you wanting more. But my my understanding of hatchet it was wasn't it always meant to be a trilogy? Is that not what it was always meant to be? I don't know. I think. Because obviously there's the whole recasting thing with Daniel Harris. I think it was probably just going to be one film, but then it really uh, hit off. People loved it. So has then... anyone cut Hatchet together? No, but that would be great. It'd also be one really long film. It'd be really amusing to see it go from the first one to the second film and then seeing Daniel Harris suddenly <laughs> yeah. in the role. Um, yeah, the, the key reason the filmmakers decided to kill off Harley Jane Kozak's character, Diane, early in the film was because they thought that Kozak and Eileen Davidson looked too much alike due to their similar hairstyles. <sighs> Some of the girls in these two films, it does take a while. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. And I'm going to be terrible with names. Yeah. Sorry. And the body count in this one is nine. So that brings me to Sorority Row, released in 2009, uh, directed by Stuart Hendler. Less impressive... Uh, Work he did Whisper, Halo Four, uh, Forward and Two Dawn miniseries, and Max Steel, and it's also from the writers of Piranha Three D and Three Double D. You can tell. You can tell. Um, the budget was twelve point five million, much bigger budget, and it made just over twenty seven million. Remember, it's been a very word of mouth film. I was in college at the time when this was released, and everyone was like, "Oh, you've got to go and see this." That's and not a huge box office success. It's not. Though, is it's it? not. It's, it's not huge. This it falls into the category of Jennifer's Body, uh, Scream Three, Scream Four. Uh, name me some other, fil- other films we spoke about similar to this. Um, Evil Dead, The Black Christmas two thousand five remake. It falls into that category of a film that was made that should have been made today but okay. was made in a different time and has now gained a cult following from gay men and women. 
Yeah, okay. Thanks to social media. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's... And like Screen Queens. Like, like Screen Queens. Because it takes that, and I, I always... I said this so much on the fucking Jennifer's Body episode, but saying it again, it takes the sort of Mean Girls-esque dialogue, the horror side of things that you see in Scream, mix them together, and you've got a super camp slasher film. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, I think it's got a camp cult following. Yes, yeah. Rather than an actual cult following. Yeah. Um, I think with this film, and I'll say this a lot during the podcast, but if you view this film as pure comedy, yeah. you get a lot more uh-huh. from it than if you look at it as a straight-up slasher film. Was that the filmmaker's intent? I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, we all digest things differently. I'm not sure because, like I said, you can see it's very much that teen comedy style from around 2009. Between 2004 and 2009, there's a lot of films released like this. House of Wax, there's another one. Um, And they all have that sort of really camp, melodramatic moments that you'd instantly recognise from a film in the 2000s. Yeah, I think in terms of dialogue, I hazard to guess that this is what the screenwriter thought teens took. It like. is a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. And I, th- I genuinely think that maybe that's what he thought teen girls talked like. That bitchiness, yeah. that... You know, Mean Girls is different because it's written by a woman and it's yeah, yeah, totally tongue-in-cheek. Of course. Totally throughout. But when a man writes it, it comes from a different perspective, writing young women. Mm. And I think maybe he did think this is what young women spoke like. It, it's, it's funny because it, at the start, as it goes on, it, the writing's quite bad, but then... As it gets to the third act, it's it almost feels like a woman took over and started writing it. Like, look, you can't fucking do it, just let me do it. Because it gets so much better in the third act. Like, there's some really funny comedic moments. Yeah. Where it's like, there's a few bitchy things. I was like, okay, maybe that, that would be something someone would say that's like this. But my, my perspective, what I'm trying to get at, is that they are funny. Yeah. But they're... <laughs> They're, they're funny in a camp yeah. way. Yeah. Rather than, you know, I don't think they were meant to be tongue-in-cheek about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Whereas, like I said, with Mean Girls, yeah. there was always yeah, that yeah, layer yeah, to yeah. the whole of Mean Girls. Yeah. Whereas this is all, you know, very sort of farcical. And it's yeah. meant to be rather than this is what I think actual women talk like. Yeah. We're getting into it. The film was originally intended to be R-rated, but after the success of 2008's Prom Night remake, previous film of the podcast, Summit Entertainment planned to trim it to a PG-13. However, the studio changed its mind and decided to keep it as a solid R-rated film, and it fucking... It was a good job. It needed to be. It was yeah. a good job. There are some great death scenes in this film that really feels like a proper nod to 80s slasher films. Yeah. And when you're remaking an 80s slasher film, that's a great thing. Several of the film's uh, music tracks for use for background um, during dialogue are used in the video game Sims 3, where the Sims stereo is set to custom. Nice. Uh, can you get any more 2009? I don't know. 
Leah Pipes originally read for the part of Ellie. After auditioning for Ellie, she auditioned for the part of Jessica. And after a second audition for the role of Jessica, as well as a makeover of her extensions and a wardrobe change, she was given a part. Yeah, she wouldn't have worked as Ellie. I, can I be honest? With a lot of these 2000s slasher film remakes, horror film remakes... A lot of the characters do, and and the actors feel quite interchangeable. Mm. Um, but in this case, you've got your nerdy reserved girl and your bitchy girl. I I don't know if Leah Pipes would have been as good as a nerdy reserved girl. I mean, they're not really pushing their acting too no. far in these roles, so I, I don't know. Um, but it. <laughs> Let's be honest here. The bitchy girl has blonde hair mm. and the nerdy girl wears glasses. Yeah. That's kind of it. True. <laughs> you know? That's the kind of level we're at with this film. Uh, in August 2009, the BBFC uh, originally classified the film as an 18 and E1 Films asked the BBFC to reconsider and in a rare move, they decided to actually reconsider and pass it in as a 15. Oh. Which is strange because this could have easily been an eighteen. Yeah, really. It is quite. It's quite very, violent. very violent. Yeah, yeah, quite. And well, I don't know. I don't know what the, the thing is about boobs. Well, yeah, I'm about how to many get boobs to that. are you allowed? So um, before I do, Mark Rosman, who directed the original, was an executive producer on this film, and uh, the score that takes place Rosman University was named after him. Getting into the nudity side of things, this is actually a big deal with this one. Uh, well, they made it a big deal, anyway. In a 2012 interview, director Stuart Hendler said that he knew nudity was a major staple of the slasher genre. For teenage boys growing up in the 80s, horror films were the prime place to go to get a TNA fix. Ugh. And he wanted to pay homage to that. Certainly. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just keep I know, yeah. Keep down. Yeah. Certainly, making an R... This is what uh, quotes from, from him. Certainly making an R-rated horror movie, you have that expectation, he said. Problem was, instead of casting actresses for the lead roles who had no issue being naked, producers cast actresses who refused to do it. So Hensley had to resort to hiring background extras and bit players to supply the nudity. One of the main stars, Leah Pipes, who plays uh, Jessica, as we just discussed, said that she is all for showing boobies to the audience. Boobies, exact quotes. Um, yet she didn't want to be nude because she's flat-chested. Exact quotes. So we had to hire other women with beautiful breasts, she said. But she joked that she still did her part in helping provide nudity. In one scene, she makes a female underclassman drop her towel. Yes, she does. And reveals her body to assert her own authority. For you, for all of you, she said, referring to fans of naked women. So you're welcome. Um, thanks. I, I think she's being sarcastic. There. Yeah. Some of the stars did perform scenes where the characters were supposed to be naked, but they don't show anything. In a shower scene, this uh, camera films Jamie Chung from behind and above the waist only. In a jacuzzi scene, strategically placed behind bubbles, um, which hides her body. But she wouldn't even disrobe for the scene. She wore a nude bodysuit under the water as she was completely against it. Honestly, the director... Sounds like a creep. This is why I question the intentions of the yeah. film. Yeah. For a director to turn around and say... I was... <laughs> basically, he was disappointed 
that the studio hired actresses that weren't willing to get their boobs out for the film. Mm-hmm. Not, not, do you know what? We had the best cast. Yeah. They did a really great job. Okay, they didn't want to do nudity, so we had to get others yeah. to do it. He was like, oh, the studio cast these women who would not get their boobs out on screen. Mm. So we had to make, you know, we had to do things differently. We had to accommodate that. That, to me, (laughs) makes me think that this film was not intended to be a comedy. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. And this is why the last laugh is on him. Because he did this, and there are some... um, there are some nudity scenes and it's it's quite jarring because even into well, actually no it's not I'm, I'm bullshitting there because yeah. it's the same I think it's near enough the same time we had Piranha 3D um, but there was that sort of while where it came back and, and but the last laugh's on him because now the audience that actually wants this film the audience that's actually gave this film life again are an audience that have no interest in seeing tits yes the thing is, and I don't know what the uproar is about nudity in films. You know, if it if it suits the film, mm. then okay, you, you know. And it is a slasher film. It, it, you would expect it. He's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, the whole yeah, the whole point of slasher is that these, you know, historically, mm. these people are having sex and they get punished. Yeah, you know, it's not explicitly said, but that's a slasher film. That's the prototype mm-hmm. there. And so there's going to be nudity if these characters are having sex. Yeah. I understand that. But don't be such a fucking creep about yeah. it. Don't go on record saying you're disappointed because yeah. these women wouldn't get the fucking Have tits a little up. respect for the actresses. You might as well be Eli Roth. Like, at this point, when you're talking like that. It's fucking ridiculous. Exactly. It, it really is. And uh, I, I don't, but, I, but that's the thing. Eli Roth did this around this time. Yeah. It was a time where directors said stuff like this in interviews and they thought it was okay. Yeah. What the fuck is this? Yeah, it's weird. It, it's, it's weird. Going back it's only to, 11 years ago, really. Yeah, it's shocking. Going that's back to Jennifer's time. Body, um, what I was saying before, is this is another way this could be compared to that, but in completely different ways. The director of Jennifer's Body was obviously a woman, and she intended it for the audience it's got now. But again, this is why it's funny with him. He definitely didn't intend it to have the audience it's got now. And the intended audience that he had, he's included some nudity in this film. But you go to most uh, straight horror fans, like straight male horror fans, they ain't fucking interested in this film. Yeah, I suppose... (laughs) It's got I, don't a 5. Want, 1. I don't want to delve too deep um, it's, into this. It's got a 5.1 on IMDb. It yeah. is not a well-received film. It's fil- not a well-received film. Um, I just... I don't understand what people's uproar is about nudity on film. I, I don't get it. It's, you know, it's a very iffy area. Mm. We could talk about it for a whole podcast episode. Um, but at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, you know, people are free to do whatever they want. But just don't be weird about it. Yeah. Just don't, just don't be creepy about it. Have a little respect for your actresses. Have a little respect for them. Well, when when I read out this next bit of trivia, keep in mind everything we've just discussed. <laughs> Speaking of sex, it could be the name of our podcast. Speaking of sex, Chucks, Claire and Jessica are all killed by objects being shoved into their mouths. The reason behind this... Oh, don't. Please don't. Don't say. <laughs> is because it was symbolic. Due to number one, 
The girls breaking their own rule and keeping their friend's accidental death a secret, but instead told someone about it. Whew. Number two, their promiscuous nature. Oh my god. Promiscuous nature. Who had a promiscuous nature? The girl that got the bottle rammed down the throat because she was fucking a therapist and everything. Uh, okay, planet. she was promiscuous. Okay. Jessica. Is that the... Um, the bitchy girl. How is she promiscuous? Mm. She had a boyfriend. She did have a boyfriend. Does that make her promiscuous? The whole thing was... She told her, but the whole thing was that she wanted to keep her man. He was promiscuous. He cheated on her. Oh, God, I just want to listen to Nelly Furtado now. <laughs> promiscuous. <laughs> Dickhead. And who was the third one who got something rammed in the throat? Was that... Oh, uh, the... Um... Oh, what's oh, her name? Um, the bubble bath girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was she, promiscuous. Oh, she had a Because she had sex in a hot tub. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, anyway. Body count 10. Do you remember when we said we were talking about two good films? <laughs> body count 10. Would you like to read me the premise of, and our audience, the premise of 1982? Well, not premise, but summary. Yes, I certainly will. Uh, I'm being lazy again and taking this from Wikipedia. I, I found it actually to be very... Much better than what I would have written down, so... Apologies yeah, for Yes, Wikipedia. Apologies for my laziness, <laughs> but somebody's... Well, somebody's doing a really good plot summary. Seven sorority sisters, Katie, Vicky, Liz, Jeannie, Diane, Morgan and Stevie, celebrate their graduation ceremony at their sorority house, located at the far end of a sorority row. Their celebration is interrupted by their domineering house mother... Badly Mrs. dubbed. Badly dubbed and domineering house mother, Mrs Slater... Also, sorority row is a, a real weird concept for us as English people. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't really know the idea of a sorority. I don't know what it's about. <laughs> Obviously, there's so many slasher films centred around it, and I'm still not really sure why... What's a sorority row? Like, is that where people live? Oh, well, at least so our American listeners will a, get it. A woman that's, so this woman's being paid to look after them? I mean, that's very different to our university uh, experience. No one looked after us. I wish they had. Um, they're a badly dubbed and domineering house mother, Mrs. Slater, who denies the girls' plan to throw a graduation party. The girls, led by Vicky, scorned because Slater slashed her waterbed when Vicky covertly brought a boyfriend into the sorority house. <laughs> What does Vicky say to her boyfriend when she's seducing him? Did you get... Oh, no. <laughs> when she's seducing her boyfriend, she takes him to her bedroom. She's like, look what daddy brought his little girl. Yeah. What? <laughs> he brought you a water bed? A water bed. <laughs> now, just... The, the girls are pretty interchangeable in this one. It's one issue I had with the film is that they're not really got personalities. No, but Vicky does have a... Sm- Vicky has probably the most personality. And she also has the smallest condom I've ever seen. She's the smallest condom. <laughs> She's the most personality. She's also played by a living legend, <laughs> Eileen Davidson. Uh, Eileen Davidson is one of the real housewives... Was, excuse me, one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. A show that I follow and, uh, yeah, I love... Do you really Eileen think our Davidson. listeners won't know what that is? Look at our target audience, Chris. Well, I would hope they would. <laughs> if you need any help, she's the one that said, 
beast. How dare you? <laughs> well, Nishi's not called a beast, is she? Mrs. She's Slater not... says, you filth! She... Trash like you doesn't belong in my house. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she's just an absolute legend. of Vicky, Vicky and Eileen are legends. But they devise a prank. They steal her, uh, Mr. Slater's walking cane and place it in the house's unused outdoor pool and force her at gunpoint to retrieve it. So this is a real dank, dirty, filthy pool, yeah. isn't it? Um, the prank goes awry when Vicky inadvertently shoots Slater, who appears to be dead. The girls agree to hide the body in the pool until their party ends, though Katie and Jeannie are reluctant. They're a final girl in there, one of them, Katie and Jeannie, the reluctant ones, of course. At the party, an unidentified figure stabs a man walking in the woods with Slater's cane. What does the man have? Is he a meaty moustache? He has a cracking moustache. I, I remember the glasses more, and the fact that he was just talking to himself. <laughs> he should talk to himself. His fucking big moustache. It's quite early on in the party, and he's clearly the one that's um, pre-drank too much. <laughs> He's, uh, so he's wandering around talking to himself for some reason. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, after finding guests attempting to enter the pool, the girls realise that if the pool lights turn on, Slater's body will be revealed. There's a, quite a bit of fat shaming in this film. There's one guy in particular that keeps referring to himself as the love walrus. No, he keeps referring to himself as a sea pig. Sea, oh, Love Warrus would have worked a bit better. They're, uh, well, they're here. all in the tight whiteies, and he jumps in the pool, and he's the only one that goes in. So, I'm a sea pig! I'm a sea pig! Yeah. It's just... Uh, obviously, it's the old trope of the fat guy being hilariously funny because he's fat. It, yeah. That's very 1982. Yeah, we'll go with that. Stevie, Stevie goes into the basement to disable the breaker, where she's brutally stabbed to death by the killer. Later, the pool lights come on, much to the girl's alarm, but Slater's body is nowhere to be found. Deciding that Slater must be alive, the girls begin searching for her after the party comes to a close. Morgan enters Slater's room, where Slater's body falls on her from the attic hatch. Vicky suggests hiding the body in the old cemetery. In the <laughs> This is a very elaborate plan, isn't it? <laughs> they go all the way to the cemetery <laughs> to bury this body. Like... <laughs> What's Morgan doing before the body falls on her? Acting a complete fool, isn't she, really? How dare you? She's singing a lovely song about her college days. Yeah, she's <laughs> acting a fool. Morgan is probably got slightly more um, character development... Well, personality, should I say. But the personality is really just being... A, a, not even a ditzy blonde, just a weird blonde. <laughs> she's a bit weird. She sings random songs to herself... <laughs> Um, she acts dazed, like she's stoned all the time. <laughs> I don't know if it's some iffy acting on the go, or, or that's who she was meant to be. Um, but yeah, she's a proper weirdo. Uh, <laughs> in the attic, Katie discovers children's toys and a dead caged bird. Morgan is subsequently stabbed with Slater's cane in the bedroom. So Morgan, because we enjoyed the character so much, she gets two death setups, didn't she? Yeah. So the body falls on her, and then just kind of the next time she has a little, you know, cry and that. But then the next time we see her, <laughs> laughing at a fucking music she's box. She's laughing at a music box. <laughs> she's got this music box. She's like, <laughs> I thought she was the killer. 
I thought, okay, this this is this is you know we're getting a reveal halfway through the film. She's the killer, she's the right weirdo. But then no, she gets stabbed with Slater's cane in the bedroom. Diane goes to an, an outlying garage to start the van to transport Slater's body, but is murdered by the killer who breaks in through the sunroof. Shortly after, Jeannie is decapitated with a butcher knife in the bathroom. Uh, that's quite a good death scene, it actually. Is, that's is. a really good death scene. Uh, obviously, it's it's an old trope of the slasher film, the whole death in the bathroom, you know, uh, cubicle. Um, I thought this one was done really well. Uh, meanwhile, Katie finds a medical alert tag on a necklace belonging to Slater. She calls the number and is put through to a Dr. Beck, who comes to the house. The two discover the bodies of Stevie, Morgan and Diane in the pool. Meanwhile, after finding Diane missing, Vicky and Liz decide to drive to the cemetery without her to bury Slater's body. When they arrive, both girls are killed by the assailant. Dr. Beck accompanies Katie to the cemetery where they find the bodies of Vicky and Liz, as well as Slater's body still in the back of the van. After forcibly giving Katie a sedative at the house, Dr. Beck reveals that Slater had a son named Eric who was deformed and mentally undeveloped underdeveloped, excuse me, thanks to an illegal fertility treatment he had given her. Dr. Beck uses Katie as bait so he can capture Eric and cover up his crime. Eric arrives and hacks Dr. Death... Uh, Dr. Death? Dr. Death? Dr. Death? Wait, Dr. <laughs> Beck to death while Katie searches for Vicky's gun, which does not fire. She flees to the bathroom and finds Jeannie's severed head in the toilet. Great shot, mm-hmm. isn't it? it is. Her head in the toilet is a great shot. Horrified, she climbs to the attic where she is attacked by Eric, now wearing a clown costume. She shoots him repeatedly, only to realise the gun is loaded with blanks. She then uses a pin to stab Eric numerous times and he falls through the attic door to the floor below. Katie believes he is dead and rests from exhaustion. However, Eric opens his eyes as the film ends, leaving Katie's fate unknown. Yes. I thought that was a really good summary. It is. Uh, Um... I think it's quite telling how that summary misses out the character of Pete. <laughs> Poor Pete. Poor Pete. So this is obviously, this is a film centred around women. You know, like I said earlier, women are the catalyst. Women are the victims, essentially. And then you get to the end and then it brings Dr. Beck into it really and brings this Eric character into it and I'm not 100% sure if that was needed well Eric was needed obviously well yeah but I I suppose that was the twist yeah so they Eric saw the girls kill his mother Mm -hmm. and he exacted revenge on them killing a random drunk guy on the way there um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe it was a little smidge of a cop-out just to have all this down to some um, deformed and underdeveloped son that Slater had. I don't know. What do, what do you think? I don't mind it. I don't mind it because I prefer that to something that's completely over-explained. I like that it was just shoehorned in last minute because it... The focus is on the girls. They're the ones you're with throughout the entire film. You don't know who's doing this. No. Um, I, I like it's just a bit of a mystery. I mean, I, I suppose they're probably set up for a sequel, let's face it. Probably. I mean, that costume looks great. Yeah. It looks genuinely The, the mask he had before that was even scarier. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they were setting up for it to be a franchise. Mm. 
and that's why they had Eric as the killer yeah. rather than it be one of the girls. Yeah. You know, um, which which makes sense. Um, it's still a really good. It is. Slasher film, you know, it it's nice to see a real array. Yes, we don't really get their personalities too much. Mm. But, you know, it, it's nice to see a real female-focused film yeah. uh, in the horror genre. So, moving to 2009, we start with a house party with uh, arseless bunny suits, choreographed dance routines, a douchey guy getting a beer thrown in his face, and Carrie Fisher having a lonely drink in the kitchen. Because uh, legend of uh, cinema, Carrie Fisher is in this film. Group of girls gather in a bedroom to make a toast and watch a prank unfold, and we find out that Chug's brother gave, uh, brother gave her brother. Chug's gave her brother fake pills that she said were date rape pills to give to Megan, who fakes her death whilst he's taking advantage of her to get him back for cheating on her. Yeah. Yeah, really fucking iffy. Yeah. Really fucking iffy for 2009 as well. Yeah, so this guy, this guy, I mean, he's a non-entity for most of the film. Um, but we're, we're meant to think that he's uh, a piece of shit because he was giving date rape pills to do this. I mean, yeah, he is. He is a piece of shit for trying to do this. But what a fucking prank. There's, you mean to tell me there's absolutely nothing else they could have done to prank him? Yeah, but also on a film perspective, why did the screenwriter think this was yeah. a good idea? Like... How? What is the catalyst for this girl dying? Mm. I keep saying catalyst. Why is this suddenly coming to my vocab? Um, but w- what? How are we going to get to this prank going awry? What's yeah. the prank? Oh, let's choose date rape. Fuck off. Surprise Weinstein didn't produce it. Mm. All the girls and Garrett drive Megan out to the middle of nowhere and Megan leaves her phone recording on the side. Garrett, for some bizarre reason, stabs Megan in the chest with a tire iron and actually kills her. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he does this, but... Well, they were all just discussing how to get rid of the body. Yeah. So the, the whole idea was that they should have probably just given up on the prank yeah. a lot of time before yeah. that point. Yeah. Uh, after arguing about it for a bit, most of the girls decide the best decision would be to dump Megan's body and the tire iron down a mine shaft and pretend nothing happened. Cassidy and Ellie are unhappy about this, but it's all done anyway. And you know what? I wish this that that sequence wasn't in it because that's the only thing that really just tracks us down a bit. Yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, I said earlier, looking at this as a pure comedy mm. works. So as a pure comedy, it's very jarring. Yeah. That that yeah. whole series of events is because that guy was date raping her you, mm. you know he, in his mind that's what he was doing and everyone thought that was a great idea for a prank yeah um and then obviously it went wrong i mean the original kept it very simple yeah you know i've thrown your cane <laughs> uh I'm, you know i've got you at gunpoint sort of thing mm. and we're gonna take the piss rather than i'm going to date rape someone yeah, so eight months later, the girls are graduating. Cassidy's grown apart from the group with her boyfriend, Andy. Chugs is making out with a gay guy who's absolutely repulsed by her. And a girl who looks like Megan shows up at their graduation, causing Ellie to faint. Maggie apologises, who is uh, 
Megan's sister, she introduces herself as Megan's sister and says she's pledging for Theta Pi, Beta Pi, whatever, next year. I, I don't even get it. Um, all the girls receive... Theta Pi? Theta, yeah, T-H-E-T-A Pi. You make me hungry. All the girls receive a picture message of the bloody tire iron and they immediately assume it's Garrett and decide to ignore it. Mrs. Crenshaw, played by Slay Queen Carrie Fisher, gives her goodbye speech, gives them gifts, and leaves them to set up for the house party. Chugs goes to a therapy session where a creepy and possibly gay therapist, due to a throwaway comment, uh, is handcuffed to his bed and gets the tire iron, now filled with various different blades attached to it, um, to the head uh, from a cloaked figure. This weapon is fantastic. It is really it good. Is. And, and do you know what? The cane in the original is as well. I like the choice of weapons in these films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this allows for some very inventive kills. Um, yeah. Do you think the therapist was gay? He was very camp. But why are all these gay guys wanting to fuck Chugs? I didn't think the therapist was gay. What made you think the therapist was gay? Because apparently he's more of an ass guy. And then they were like, oh. As in, they were hinting that he was gay. No. That's what she did. Yeah, but he was gonna he wanted to have sex with her. Yes he did. But and the other guy that she was getting on with was also clearly gay. Yeah, but he no, he was repulsed because her mouth tasted of vomit. But he she was drank too much. He and... he was made out to be gay, Chris, let's face it. I don't know. Well apparently anyway. Maybe you were way. To be. <laughs> well no. But either way, um yeah, he's killed and uh by this cloaked figure whilst Chugs is in the bathroom. When she comes out to find him, she says she doesn't have time for Catch Me, Rape Me. Fucking hell. I forgot about that. She then gets a wine bottle rammed down her throat, killing her immediately. Yeah, because she was promiscuous. Yeah. And it's annoying that that's the reason he chose to do this, because it's actually a really fucking good death scene. A really good death scene. It looks looks great as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, really, quite a mean-spirited one. Yeah. Which sometimes you need in these sort of films. Jessica has dinner with her boyfriend, Kyle, and his senator father, who essentially tells her not to embarrass his family. He's a piece of shit, that guy's dad. And you kind of feel sorry for her, even though she's the bitchy girl. At that point, you're like, Jesus, no one wants to be in that position. She, mm, no. It's horrible. Um, Claire's taking a shower whilst, uh, when Riley takes the piss out of her not waxing. Jessica tells her to leave a towel off, uh, to leave and take a towel off. And uh, the Riley says, if you wanted to see perfect tits, all you had to do was ask. Some random girl over here is two of them discussing Megan's murder and gets the tire iron shoved through her throat after they leave. Another really good death scene. Uh, the girls are panicking after they find the jacket Megan was buried in. And uh, one of them says, we're so dead. And Jessica says, no one is dead. Well, Megan's dead, but that's it. This is when the dialogue starts picking up a bit. The party begins, over-sexualised teens with six-packs and bikinis for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everyone in this film is, uh, all the background players are very interchangeable. <laughs> they look all look, look exactly the same. Looks like they're borrowed from the set of Piranha 3D. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're kind of what <laughs> porn films may want you to think university yeah. students look like. In in America. Obviously because it's very American. (laughs) Claire and Mickey have an argument. He gets a necklace to the face. Mickey's um, Claire's boyfriend. Gets a necklace to the face. Uh, He goes outside, feels Ellie's leg. She threatens to kill him. And then he offers two girls wristbands to the party if they flash him. 
He spots the killer watching him, and within that time, the two girls pass on this offer because, in their exact words, he's not real hot. <laughs> yeah. And he's not. He's not. He looks like a fucking mess. But anyway, um, <laughs> no offence to the actor. Really yeah, but he's, he's here being all creepy with women. I'm allowed to diss him. I mean, no offence to the actor. I was going to say, it's still the actor's face. He's not, he's not wearing a mask. Either way, he gets a plank of wood to the leg, which causes him to fall over and his bone to snap out of his leg. And he gets the tire iron through the chest as he's trying to escape, which Ellie witnesses. Yeah, it's a pretty death scene, actually. Yep. He's trying to go down some sort of hatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, what would you call it? Is I don't know lazy boy. Do you call him a lazy boy? I have no idea. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, but he's trying to go down some sort of hatch. And then the uh, weapon goes through the wall. Yeah. So Ellie takes the girls there and shows them where it happened. Uh, Cassidy and Jessica find the body. Cassidy's not sure if it's Mickey, but Jessica says it's definitely Mickey. I know those ugly shoes from anywhere. <laughs> they get sent the video from Megan's phone of her being murdered and a text saying it's going to the police in 20 minutes. So they decide to drive to the place where she got killed. Maggie stops them on the way to call Jessica a liar and tell her that Megan hated her. And uh, <laughs> she says, Jessica says to her, to Maggie, I'm going to deal with you later. And Maggie says, you might want to deal with that hair first because it looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> when they get to the mine shaft, Garrett's there and attacks them with a piece of glass. But Jessica runs him over and they realise he was already dead anyway because he cut his wrist before that. And he also received a message from Megan's phone, meaning it's not him. Cassidy goes to the bottom of the mine shaft and finds Megan's body is missing and Fate of Pie Must Die is written in blood on the wall. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> they go back to the party, everyone's gone. We don't know how she gets out of the well. No, no. Because the, the, the rope breaks. Yeah. And, she's, and then she sees Fate of Pie yeah, Must Die. They're back, they're back at the, the back of the party. Who the fuck knows how she got out of there? Everyone's gone and the jacuzzi is overflowing. Uh, and there's one random extra leaving. Like, oh my god, I don't know how this happened. I'm going to another party now. And her acting is, is literally just like that. Oh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> but they're quite lucky she was still there. Yeah. Because no one else is there. Just her. <laughs> She's the last one. I don't know if she's. No, two, two people are making out inside. Oh, they are. What was she doing then by herself? I have no idea. I, I think she just accidentally stumbled onto the set by the way she was acting. Everyone's gone to the after party. <laughs> <laughs> Claire goes to turn off the jacuzzi, armed with a flare gun. She gets dragged by the jacuzzi plug, and Cassidy cat, uh, chases after her with the cane from the original. Nice, nice and, touch. And uh, she finds Claire dead with a flare in her mouth. Because she's promiscuous. Yes. Now, while she doesn't get to see this happen, it's also a good imagery for after. The, the, all the deaths in this film are great. They are, actually. Uh, Jessica finds Maggie in her bed, who says she just fucked Kyle... Jessica's boyfriend and she knows Jessica fucked Megan's boyfriend so they have a great cat fight um, until the girls break them up because they can hear someone in the house Jessica grabs the axe and nearly decapitates the person in the house and it's Mrs. Crenshaw who hits her in the face of a shotgun and it all comes out about Megan Jessica reveals that she told Kyle and uh, Mrs. Crenshaw says well he she or it is about to get a few rounds to the face nice and tells them to call the police Maggie goes looking for Megan while Mrs. Crenshaw shoots at the killer in the kitchen and says, Come to Mama. Please don't think I'm afraid of you. I run a house with 50 crazy bitches. 
She is, Carrie Fisher is the best thing about this film. She's absolutely the best thing about this film, and it's a shame that they couldn't afford her for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica and Cassidy attempt to leave the house. Mrs. Cremshaw unfortunately gets impaled on the tire iron, and her final line of dialogue is, You stay the fuck away from my girls! <laughs> <laughs> and then she dies. She's shooting till the very end, though, she isn't is. she? <laughs> the killer throws a Molotov cocktail at Maggie, sets the curtains on fire. Uh, Ellie hides in the wardrobe. Kyle reveals he's the killer and attacks Jessica and Cassidy. And uh, he says to Cassidy, you don't know anything about Jessica. She'll do anything. But before he could finish, she says, if you keep your dick in your pants, scumbag. (laughs) They get away from him and the house is catching fire fast. They find Megan's corpse in the shower and Jessica says, oh my God, she looks terrible. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I can't tell if... It's a comedy or not? It really goes full blown comedy in this in the third it act. D- I mean that her the character of uh, Jess- Jessica. Yeah, the character of Jessica can be seen as pure comedy. Yeah, everything she says, but I don't know if that's meant to be. <laughs> Andy arrives and gives Kyle an axe to the back of the head. Casty realizes Andy has a tire iron, and then it's revealed that Andy's in fact the killer. Now, this confused me. Does that mean there was two killers? Yeah, because I thought we were getting a scream yeah. sort of rip-off where they were both in on it yeah. together. but then he doesn't acknowledge that Kyle was part of it even though he was in full costume for it. Yeah, so I don't know if... So I think the idea was that they were both killing separately. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go with that because if not, it isn't very logical that he didn't try and defend himself as the killer yeah. and actually tried killing Cassidy. Um... But Andy seems to be the one with the biggest driving force uh, behind it. He, he gives Jessica the tire iron um, to the mouth and kills her. And he says, Ellie told him everything and he killed everyone who knew about Megan to help Cassidy get away with it. Yeah, so, which was what Kyle was doing as well. Yeah. So be- maybe, yeah, that does make sense. So though. they both had the same end goal, but doing things separately because yeah. Kyle didn't want this to get out. Because it would have hurt his dad's mm-hmm. chances of becoming vice president. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they didn't just go with them both working yeah. together. I, I'd, uh, that would have been a proper scream rip-off. Though, yeah, it's it? true. Uh, Cassidy uh, pretends that she's okay with the plan. And uh, Andy wants to go kill Ellie first before they leave. Cassidy finds Ellie and they try to escape while surrounded by CGI fire. Maggie's still alive too. Ellie shoots Andy and he falls through the floorboards into the CGI fire. Ellie, Cassidy and Maggie escape and walk away from the house in slow motion like the sugar babes uh, whilst the fire engines arrive. It's rush week. 15 months later, Maggie's now part of Fate of Pie and Andy's watching the house with a garden tool and a burn on his hand. The single burn. From yeah. the school of Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Big fire, single burn. <laughs> yeah. I, I've absolutely no idea what that scene was about. Or was it Kyle? Which one was it? Oh, it, you know, could have been a, any of them. Could have been a gardener. Probably, it, it could have business. And was completely pointless. Yeah, Dead so... Stupid. It's still a fun film. It is. It, it, going through it like that, it's problematic. Yeah, it's problematic. In many ways. Um, I found, you know, 
so many times I've, I've watched this film just freely just watching it as as just watching a film that opening sequence is always jarring it's even jarring back in 2009 but it just gets worse that that side of it every time yeah. you watch it but the rest of it you know it, it can just be watched as a mindless fun slasher film um but yeah no it, analyzing it you, you do get to realize how problematic it is yeah i i think it's the old case of maybe laughing at rather than laughing with yeah um i do potentially think that the screenwriter thought this is how teens in college acted mm. and particularly how women acted yeah the whole you know in the shower look down trim your bush thing mm. it's like it's it's a cheap joke and it's kind of weird yeah do you know what I mean because it's like women don't talk like that no, <laughs> well, like, no. if you want to see perfect breasts when well, you're seeing them you know yeah. I, I, I know plenty of women that, <laughs> none of them have said if you want to see perfect breasts here they are yeah. like, you know it's not how women talk but Watching the film for camp value, it's funny. It's yeah. a funny scene. Um, I just don't know who was in on the joke. Yeah. Um, but I am, and it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's kind of satisfying enjoying it for the wrong reasons, considering what the director's like. Um, so, getting into comparisons, cinematographies, kills, and soundtrack. I didn't put scares in there because it's, neither of them are really scary. I don't know, really. I mean, if any, if any of them are scary, it wouldn't be the original I win anyway. That's It is a good blend of. Creepy and camp. Yeah, it, it is. For me, really, the only truly scary part of the original one is that... The ending. Yeah, yeah, and the clown mask. Yeah, with the ending. Yeah, it's like, um That's a really great shot of him uh, when you think it's the count, the count, the clown suit hanging up and he's actually lifts his head up. It's yes. such a great shot. Oh, that is a great shot. That yeah. entire final ten minutes is the scariest ten minutes of the entire film. Yeah. Um, cinematography for 1982, I think, is perfect. It, it really... it's Slasher films are easy to just make and throw out there in the 80s. We've seen enough that have had absolutely no thought put into one. But there's mm. had a lot of thought put into it. Yeah. Um, you can tell you worked with Brian De Palma, but, you know he treated it like a proper filmmaker and it looked really good. Yeah, it was a great... For for a budget like that, the film looked great. Some great shots, some uh, great scenery. Yeah. 2009 is that classic 2000s music video look. Um, yeah. It's like a, a sort of dark tint to it most of the time. There's some really good shots, but it's mostly just that sort of music video from the 2000s look. Yeah, it was very... It reminded me of... um, What, that Marilyn Manson um, Tainted Love music video for Not Another Teen Movie. Yes, and it had that sort of slow motion thing from it. Yeah, it felt like a parody of teen slash films. Yeah, because it was just so um, sort of spot on yeah. <laughs> for what you always see in these sort of films yeah like I said there are a few good shots I mean like uh, the scene of Cassidy standing by the mine shaft after they first put it down it looks really good um, I think the whole therapy scene shot really well but for the most part it is just throw away yeah, yeah. It, it was, we've seen it all before yeah the kills is a different one to compare uh, did I say different? I meant different, to say difficult. You mean difficult. It's a difficult one to prepare. Uh, compare. Oh my lord! Oh my god! I'm having a meltdown. So ghastly. Compare. 
difficult one to compare um, because they work for different reasons. In the remake, they're more fun, but also dragged down by the fact of what they're meant to mean because, I mean, that's just fucking weird. Yeah. In the original, <laughs> I found them more brutal because they're more realistic. Yeah. But that decapitation thing goes on a while. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found in the original, for the time, you've got mm. to look at things, you know, in terms of the time. Uh, for the time, there were some pretty brutal kills. Yeah. I mean, for me, the head in the toilet mm. shot is fantastic. And yeah. it's something I'd never seen before. I'd never seen a bloodied head in the mm. toilet, which sounds funny, but it's actually quite a shocking yeah. image. Yeah. Um, whereas with the 2009, obviously... They have to be a lot more elaborate. It's more animated, isn't it? That's yeah. what it's uh It's over the top. It's so over the top. And yeah. that's why they work. Yeah. And it's why it does work. And that's why you have to have that. Because by 2009, we had seen it all. Mm. But I've never seen a kill like that bottle. No. Shoved, no. shoved into yeah. the mouth. It's one of the most memorable. It, it really is. You know. And it looks great. I'm assuming it was practical effects. Yes. Yeah. Um, the was the the fire was CGI. The fire was CGI. Most things were practical effects. Yeah, which mm. is great. Yeah. which is great to see. Um, so it's really difficult. It is. Um, the soundtrack nineteen eighty two wins miles off because it has a score that sounds like it's constantly about to go into I write sins not tragedies by Panic at the Disco. It does, and I really hope that's what it took it from. <laughs> that's the influence. It, the score's fantastic. It's, yeah. Um, Richard Band. Richard Band or Charles Band? Charles Band. I think, as in Puppet Master. He, yeah, but I think it was his brother. Oh, they, I they're, see. They're, they worked on films together. Um, yeah, but either way, it was one of the band um, brothers. And it's such a good score. It really, really adds layers of atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. It really does. It's... Um, if any scenes are creepy in the film, it's mainly down to that soundtrack. And do you know what? Slasher films from the early 80s and late 70s, by and large, have really great soundtracks. Yeah. I can't really think of one that had a terrible soundtrack. No, no. Something about the slasher films back then. Obviously, when it comes to music, it's all about taste. Mm. I think even more than films... I think people's tastes differ a lot when it comes yeah. to music. But I think they all have a cracking score. And even the music from the music box doesn't sound too dissimilar to Suspiria. Yeah. yeah it's true. great. It's really good. The soundtrack for 2009 is just basic. I, mean, I, get like I can't a, remember. I feel like a Franz Ferdinand song at one point. Oh my God, um, there but, was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Franz Ferdinand song. And that song from the opening of Piranha 3D as well. Yeah, it's, it's not even worth mentioning. Yeah, it's not. Um, so, cinematography, original, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Soundtrack original. Kills. I think we're going to have to give this a tie. I don't know which one's better. I really don't. Because uh, they work for the same reasons. Yeah. For different reasons. For different reasons. I would... Because I feel a little sorry for it, I'd give it to the remake. Yeah. I mean... It's a, it'd be a close margin um, between the two. Yeah. Let's not think too much about it. No. It's really not... We'll, we'll give it to the remake. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> characters. Now, characters here, I've put down the main girl, the bitchy girl, and the killer, 
And for the rest, I've just put the rest of the girls because we'd be here all night if we were going to talk about each individual one. Yeah, and there's not really a clear comparison. No. Really. Um, yeah, a lot of the remake girls have probably more personality. Yeah. They have more defined characters, even though kind of based on stereotypes in yeah. some cases, but more defined characters than the original um, so what do you have there sorry so uh, for Final Girl we've got Katie who is Kate McNeil in 1982 and Cassidy who technically is amongst three Final Girls uh, yeah. but the main girl Cassidy yeah. uh, played by Brianna um, Evigen Evigen something like that uh, and also should we just mention that Bruce Willis's daughter plays Ellie yeah Rima Willis yeah. Yeah. I feel like we had to mention that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> do me more. Do me do yes, more. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, so, yeah, so Katie and Cassidy. Um, I think even for the original, Katie doesn't get that much, does she? No. But not that much character development. I think Cassidy gets a little more, actually, in the remake. I think so, yeah, because you know she, she wants to separate herself from the girl. She's got a boyfriend. She's trying to start a new life. Um, she didn't agree with what happened and everything. I mean, that's one thing they've got, both got in common. They both didn't agree with what originally happened. Um, they're both very much the stereotypical, the good girl's the final girl. They are. Both brunette. Yeah. Um... It's a really difficult one because I can't really sit here and tell you too much about them rather than what they did. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I can't give them any real characteristics. I mean, they're both, you know, fighters. They're both into survival. Um, So it's hard to compare them to Mm. each other. I mean... I think for me, Cassidy maybe wins as a better character. Yeah. Because she's a more fuller character. Yeah. Because you get you get her relationship with her boyfriend, so you get aspects of that. Whereas Katie in the original, just kind of she's she's got a date for the evening, Peter, <laughs> um, that she just kind of ignores for the whole <laughs> evening. And then he comes to try and save the day, but yeah. he doesn't. Yeah, so fuck it. He's a complete non-entity. Katie was horrible to Peter, so we'll give it to Cassidy. Yeah. Yeah, poor Peter. <laughs> but Peter was a completely pointless character. He was. A- completely yes. pointless. This one's probably a little more easier for you. Vicky, played by Eileen Davidson in 1982, or Jessica, played by Leah Pipes in 2009. It would have to be... <laughs> That's it. No, we're basing it on this film, not on what they did outside of the oh, film. okay. <laughs> But I, I think... Yeah, Vicky's better. Yeah, I think the whole idea was that Vicky was meant to be the mean girl. Yeah. Which actually wasn't really that... I mean... The thing it, is, they're both funny. Yes. Um, Jessica, it, it, her dialogue is, is what makes her funny as a character. They've got the whole thing with the politician dad going on. So you feel sorry for her a bit. I don't want to feel sorry for the bitchy girl. Um, Vicky, on the other hand, you know she's a bitch from the get-go. Because she's with her boyfriend shooting a gun whilst licking her lips. Yeah. And that doesn't scream bad girl. (laughs) She is. She's probably more of a bad girl than a bitch. I mean, she's perfectly nice to all the other guys. Yeah, to all the other guys. Until the shit hits the fan and then she gets... But she's only trying to take control of the situation. 
I love that she came with a big elaborate plan of the, the graveyard and stuff. And oh, God, yeah. It, it, she's just a, a, a great character to watch. The whole waterbed scene is so funny. That um, is actually really funny. Even the even the prank scene. scene, it's like, oh, my God, you absolutely ridiculous, but so entertaining to watch. And Eileen Davidson is a fantastic actress. Yes. <laughs> so we'll give it to Eileen Davidson. But then, you, you know... Leah yeah. Pipes was great. I, yeah, she, she did a really good funny. job. I mean, I mean, she she was basically Regina George. Yeah, Let, let's basically. be fair. She was basically yeah. Regina George, in a slasher film. Yeah. So and she did it. She did it perfectly yeah. well. It was funny. The killer. Um, I, I didn't even put down actors for this because it doesn't matter. There's no. They might as well not be there. The actors. Yeah. Most yeah, of the time, when you've seen them yeah. kill people, you don't see what they look like. Um, no, it's probably a stuntman no. anyway. Yeah. It's it's difficult. 1982, I think, it wins because the killer is creepier uh, and a lot more effective. The more thought went into the costume. Um, it, you know, it's it's a memorable villain. But I do prefer the motive of 2009. Um, the fact that these guys are so desperate to stick with their girlfriends to the point that in the, it, it kind of makes them just look like losers and that makes you hate them even more because they're just... Dumb. Yeah, I think. I think it, I, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think it's slightly unfortunate in, the, in both films. At the end, it was all down to men, even mm. though they're very female-focused films. I think it all comes down to, you know, men, and that's kind of annoying. It's I don't, still good. I don't want to sound. Yeah, I don't want to sound like Black Christmas twenty nineteen. But it is still women saving the day. Yeah, it is. And, and women saving themselves. I do understand that. Um, but, yeah. I, I, I suppose for me, the killer in 2009 is more of a, a character before the end. Yeah. You actually see... Yeah, you know who these, they are. You, you see the figure. Yeah. And whereas in the original, the killer's just off screen. Yeah, for horror purposes, the original is so much better because it's just a cloak in the remake. Yeah, um, it's just a cloak. But uh, yeah, uh, as but far I don't as think motives. That was the point. I think because because they're giving us a big reveal mm. at the end, and they're giving us a big twist. Yeah. Because it was two thousand and nine, so that it had to be a massive elaborate twist. Mm-hmm. Then obviously the cloak sufficed. Yeah. That wasn't the point. Whereas, because in the original, yes, it's a twist, but the twist is that it's some random bloke we've never seen before. The bloke had to look creepy, and he does. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's your preferred? Um, probably the remake. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we can go with that, because, uh, like I said, I've got reasons for both. So... Um, so, so far, that's uh, free, free all. Oh, no. Don't tell me it's a tie. The final decider is... It's probably quite an easy one, actually. No, Killer, I think the original. Can <laughs> go back? Let me go to the final decider. Okay. The rest of the girls in 1982 or the rest of the girls in 2009. I would have gone 1982 with this anyway. Yeah. Um... I just thought it was funny. I mean, I thought Morgan was funny how weird she was. Um, whereas the rest of the girls here maybe rely a little too heavy on stereotypes in 2009. Um, 
massively reliant and plus, on let's not forget, types. It was mostly the rest of the girls who set up the date rape prank in yeah, the remake absolutely. as well. So they're they're not as sympathetic. No. Um, their characters, much like the screenwriter himself, seemingly, mm. is obsessed with sex. Yeah. Essentially. Which they get punished for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're they're not likable. Whereas I found in the original, the girls, although less personality on mm. display as an a whole as an entity they were more likable and so you felt a little more when they were killed yeah so overall the winner is of course the original the house on sorority row it's on prime currently amazon prime if you've got that check it out it is absolutely worth watching um i mean the, the remake i'm not going to tell you not to watch it it is it's a fun film but obviously, you know, watch it with a twenty twenty sensibility. You know, you know, you know. I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you're not stupid. <laughs> Very intelligent. You choose to listen to us. <laughs> um, but you know, watch it. Realize that it is problematic. Uh, the director is a bit of a creep. But once you get past that first ten minutes, it is. It just turns into a fun, mindless slasher film. Yeah, it is. Just look at it like I did as a pure comedy and you'll have a good time. And then yeah. there is stuff in there as horror yeah. that works. Yeah. That, you know, it was quite close. They're both decent films. Um, just obviously, of, of course, just be wary that it was made in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> so, But it has Carrie Fisher in it, so it's a must-see. So on to our best and worst of the month. Uh, again, we've had no cinemas here, so it's still older films we've watched for the first time. Um, hopefully next year this will change. Um, but uh, do you want to go first? You go first. So the best of the month is, is a difficult one, really, because I've got a lot of honourable mentions. But I'm going to go with my absolute best, because um, this is the film that made the furthest in, into my favourite films list. Is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I have only just watched it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it is... Every, I don't need to tell you this. You, you know, it's been said thousands of times. It's a masterpiece. It's groundbreaking. It looks amazing. Sounds amazing. It's just... Filmmaking at its finest. Um, it is genuinely one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, Honourable mentions... We did a whole Kubrick marathon, so the likes of Paths of Glory, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, Barry Lyndon, you know, just basically most things Kubrick made. Tales from the Hood, watched for the very first time, which was amazing. Um, really ahead of its time, anthology film that is more important this year than it's ever been. Um, it's recently been released in the UK for the first time by BFI, and it, it is just a must-watch. Absolute must-watch. Executive produced by Spike Lee, and we all know he's a genius. Um, it's just it's just fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is fantastic. It's really well made, actually. Mm. Um, and as a horror film, and I've said this time and time again, what a horror film is capable of in terms of... Um, social commentary mm. it's right up there with the best yeah and resonates you know how many 25 years later uh-huh 25 years later still resonates yeah. fully 
Um, yeah, it's great. And I think it's very underrated. It Incredibly is. Incredibly underrated, is. actually. I would really recommend watching it. Uh, also, 12 Angry Men, um, which is the best film you'll ever see about a group of men sitting in one room talking. <laughs> yeah. um, His Girl Friday was fantastic. Secrets and Lies, a really good British film. And uh, Face of Another, which is also great. And I didn't even have Sunday because we watched it last night after I wrote all my notes up. Um, Christmas Evil, which was not what I thought it was going to be, but worked better for it. It's advertised as a slasher film, but it's more of a character study. It, it, it's weird. It, it feels like Todd Phillips may have took a few things from it for Joker. Um, yeah. It's like... Joker meets Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's 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 fantastic. It's really really good, um, but <laughs> bringing us to the worst of the month, which was an easy choice, thank God, um, a month where it's easy to pick a bad film, uh, was Chained Heat Two. Chained Heat Two. Um, pointless. <laughs> One of the most pointless films I've ever seen. Oh my god, it was so boring. I, I can't tell you a single thing about it because no. it was so forgettable and so fucking boring. All I remember is Bridget Nielsen with red hair. Yeah. Who was into BDSM. Yeah, that's it. And that's all I can remember because yeah. it was really dire. And we watched it because we really enjoyed the original. We did a whole podcast episode dedicated mm. to it. It was great. Yeah. And then, so we were like, oh, let's give the sequel. It's got Bridget Nielsen in it. Mm-hmm. It might be good. Dire. And with the month that we've had, the really fantastic films that we've seen, mm. because, you know, that's the worst of a pretty decent bunch. Yeah. Um, it, it was dire. It, it was. really was. really sticks out like a sore film. Yeah. It really does. Um, but I mean, we also don't count podcast films, past or future, in our worst films. So we we, then we may have watched something worse that we'll be talking about soon. Yes, <laughs> but it was more fun. And a filmmaking scale, it was worse, but it was more fun. But what's yours? Um, oh God, so many. I mean, I watched Gremlins two for the first time. That was great. Really enjoyed that. Um, watched. Uh, what do we watch? Oh, obviously all the, the Kubrick films. All of them that we watched for the first time. Fear and time. Desire. Fear and Desire was <laughs> dire. Um, but the rest were, yeah. you know, really great. My favourite was probably Paths of Glory. I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, a really effective war film. And I'm not u- usually massively fond of war films. Um, I would probably look more into them now if they're as good as Paths of Glory and Kubrick Metal Jacket. Kubrick knows how to do war films. Yeah. Well, apart from Fear and Desire. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what he was trying to do with no. that. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, watch all... There aren't that many of them. Just watch no. all of his films. Um, really enjoyed, obviously, Tales from the Herd, 12 Angry Men... Clue we watched for the yeah, first time. That was great. That was that was a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, that's based on Cluedo for anyone in the UK. Um, and I'd like to give just a shout out to You Don't Know Me. Oh yeah, that was good. Which is a really enjoyable documentary mm. on uh, showgirls. Yeah. And we did a podcast that was our second episode. 
It was. All those millions of years ago. Um, so that that was an enjoyable documentary to watch. If you're a fan of Showgirls, Ooh. which you should be, everyone should be. And we watched for the first time Mummy Dearest. Yeah, oh yeah, that was a highlight. Legendary Mummy Dearest. Which I think It'll be a podcast song in the future. It will be a podcast episode in the future. But Maybe I, a milestone episode even. I think so, because it's a milestone film. I think it gets a really bad rep. I think it gets oh, a really bad rep. Well, yeah, it's 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 down the middle. It it, it there's moments of it that are, are genuinely good, but fucking hell, the trash moments are way better. <laughs> the dialogue in that film is endlessly quotable. Yeah, endlessly quotable, and I loved it. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's rare you give um, a, a trash piece. Is where either of us give a trash the piece. A high rating. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that got four stars from me. Four stars because from me Because well. it, it was trash, but it was well made trash. It was, yeah. You can polish a turd. Yes, apparently. Um, but then, yeah, of course, the face of another uh, Valerina Week of Wonders. We watched some fucking great films. Follow yeah. us on Letterboxd and you, you'll know. We tell people to every week. So. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you'll know what great films we've watched in November. It's been a great month. Yeah. And then there was... The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> oh, oh God, controversial. Anyway. No, I, I, I think I'd better quickly back that up. Um, no, I, I didn't completely hate Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's the first time I've ever watched it. I think I would have enjoyed it more if I watched it when I was a kid. Absolutely. Uh, and had the nostalgia there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Nightmare Before Christmas, I was just disappointed. For me, it was a little style over substance. Yeah. It looked great. It looked fantastic. Um, but I don't think there was too much to it. Nope. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, so um, to our one listener. So yeah, wait, your your worst still Chain Heat two as well. Oh, of course, yeah, 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 because it's the only truly shit <laughs> film that we watched. Um, so we're excited to tell you we are able to provide our Christmas schedule for you. Um, last year, I think we only did two Christmas films. Did we? No, no, we definitely would have did more. We would have done more. We did Silent Night, Dead and Night 2. Feeders. Yeah. And... Jesus. What was the other one we did? We definitely did another one. Did we? Did we? Are you able to get the podcast episodes in? I can, if, but you'll have to store for time. Um, Yeah. Feeders we did. Because we're, we're bringing it back for a, a connection to Feeders this year. Um, No, Feeders wasn't a Christmas film. No, Star Wars Holiday Special. Two ah, films. Of course we did it two was. films. We did Sunlight, Dead and Night 2, and Star Wars a Holiday Special. Yeah, because Feeders isn't a Christmas film. No. But that's a bit of a spoiler alert as to what we're doing this year. So, starting on Tuesday, we will be discussing The Town That Banned Christmas. The Town That Banned Christmas. Or The Town That Cancelled Christmas, as it's also known, and some other five other names it's known as. Then the week after. We will be discussing the brand new, newly released Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. <laughs> because it's very rare that we watch something and stop it immediately after and say we have to record a podcast episode on that. Yeah. And we are. 
Anderson Falls was the newest film we'd ever done on here. This beats it. This was literally released last week. You've got time to watch it before then. Do it. I seriously Preferably with alcohol. Yeah, no, I seriously recommend watching it. It's... We'll save it. We'll save it. We'll save it. It's amazing. The the week after, we are doing Feeders 2, the Christmas sequel to Feeders. Uh, The same week, we'll be releasing our original Versus remake earlier than usual because we don't want to release an episode on Christmas Day because, I mean, you know, who's going to listen on Christmas Day? Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, well, they're not wanting to listen to us whilst they carve up their turkey. (laughs) But original versus remake, we will be discussing Silent Night, Deadly Night, and its remake, Silent Night. The week after, leading up to Christmas, our final Christmas film will be Bloodbeat. Would you like to explain what Bloodbeat is about? Um, From what I remember, it's it's one of those films that's set around Christmas, but isn't really too much of a Christmas Christmas film. But it's... So, uh, does the boyfriend bring his girlfriend back to meet his family on Christmas Day? And she becomes possessed by the ghost of a Japanese samurai. (laughs) If I remember the premise correctly. Um, It looks amazing from the trailer. Apparently it's an art house horror film. Art house? Apparently. This is going to be great. I'm glad we're saving the best till last. It, the trailer did not look art house. <laughs> it looks pure trash to <laughs> And I cannot wait to watch yeah. it. So that is our Christmas schedule. Of course, we'll be rounding off the year with our best and worst horror films of 2020. And, we've, you know, it's not been the busiest year of films. We've got a lot to talk about. So it's, I suppose it's mostly going to be Fright Fest, well, isn't it? Yeah. To be fair. I suppose. So... That is this month's original versus remake done. Uh, we are on social media. I've already told you that. So that's fine. to the start of the episode again if you forgot. Um, rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Like, follow everything else. Follow us on Spotify. I am Gazmo205 on Instagram. Then at Gaz92 on Letterboxd. And GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am Chris Barker 823 on Letterboxd, Twitter and Instagram. And we will see you on Tuesday with our first festive episode. Bye.